You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Welcome, Danny. Welcome, listeners. We are recording on the start of a lovely bank holiday weekend. Uh, well, it is for me because I only work Monday to Wednesday. So, as far as I'm concerned, my week party time on a Thursday. That's party time for me. Got a um, couple of tinnies open. We have. We're both drinking San Miguel, and uh, you know it's late in the evening. It's not the the full summer day that it might have been earlier, but it's still a pretty pleasant temperature outside. And I'm I think it's a pretty good setting. I think this is going to be a good recording. I'm feeling excited for it. How are you feeling about it? Oh, very good. Very positive. Uh, you know, this the, the summer rays have given me a little spring in my step. <laughs> Goodbye, seasonal depression. <laughs> Hello, regular depression. Yeah. <laughs> seasonal affective disorder works both ways. That's why you, everyone feels so fucking good all summer long. They just don't have an acronym that's you know, spells out a different word for that. Um, Danny, so how's your week been? What are you What have you been up to? You got any little, uh, little anecdotes or shit you've been watching or whatnot? I got a cool... Uh, Japanese film for my birthday DVD if you will tell I me, believe that's what they're called tell me more it's called The Cure it's the 20th anniversary re-release put out by uh, Eureka Films or maybe Arrow Films one of those you know you one get of the those f- where I'm at the point where I think like DVDs that cost more than three quid you're like what the hell it's a DVD but if it's got any sort of slight packaging I'm like oh fair enough oh a, a notebook you say well here's all my money DVDs are beca- they're for collectors now yeah, exactly. You know, it's the only people probably buying DVDs are like people at Christmas for their like children and nephews and nieces, and uh, you know, cool art house people who can only, can only find these like weird foreign movies on DVD, you know, via the Criterion or whatever. Exactly, but it's a it's a good movie. I would urge you to seek it out. It is Bong Joon Ho's favorite film, director of Okja and Memories of a Murder, and he is no slacker in the film department. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, the other Kurosawa. First of all, I like the fact that he just hasn't changed his name. It must be hard having the surname Kurosawa and being a Japanese director. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it'd be like being called like Dave Kubrick or something. Oh, the new Kurosawa movie. It's like, nah, no, it's the other, the Kur- other Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Yeah. Um, but it's really good. It's a serial killer movie, which itself, I think those are, uh, you know, inherently got a certain pizzazz to it because every 20 minutes someone's going to die it's got, and it's got yeah, a lot those, of atmosphere. Those, those single murder movies that kind of lose, <laughs> drag, lose, drag. lose a lot of steam after the first act. But yeah, exactly. serial killer films, they keep going. But it's like a sort of existential serial killer movie. It's very uh, moody and it's got a kind of brilliant ending, but I could easily see why people would lose patience with it. If you give yourself over to the movie, it's kind of brilliant, but it asks more questions than delivers answers. Take, like how does it how does it open how does it hook you in 
Sell us a little. Set a little bit of the scene. Well, it hooks you in with an awesome shot of just a quick fire montage of the entire film. So you know what to look forward to. It's like the beginning of trailers now. There's a trailer for the trailer. Yeah, exactly. Well, it starts off with this guy committing a murder and then he has no recollection of doing it. The premise is there's, there's like a serial, it's like a serial killer, but they're all done by different people and they have no, they all have the same, uh, kill people in the same way, but they have no recollection of why or how they did it. Excellent. Excellent. If that doesn't hook you in, I don't know what will. That is a good premise. I'll lend you my DVD. Please do, Danny. Although it's patently obvious what sort of the topics we're talking about, I still feel like I need a refresher uh, on what sort of a podcast film chat is. And I'd be much obliged if you could uh, tell me about it. Well, I will be happy to oblige you. So, Film Chat is a podcast all about a successful self-help guru called Danny Moran, who is returning to his hometown of Nebraska to receive an award. However, once home, he is horrified to discover that his widowed mother is dating his former PE teacher, Sam Foster. Danny disapproves of this relationship because he remembers Sam to be an abusive bully who wasn't very nice to him when he attended the school that Foster worked at. In the days leading up to the award presentation... Danny tries his damnedest to convince his mother that Sam is no good. Things escalate to the point where Danny uses his acceptance speech to declare that Sam is the biggest asshole on the planet, a claim which is refuted by the crowd who see him as a charming pillar of the community. Things descend into a physical fight between Danny and Sam for the affections of Danny's mother. But who will win is what I would be saying. This is a adaptation of the 2007 film Mr. Woodcock, starring Sean William Scott, Billy Bob Thornton, and Susan Sarandon. This is, in fact, is a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me, a man who I would have no problem with him dating my mum. In fact, <laughs> I would encourage it. If my dad snuffs it, just move on in there, buddy. Thanks, dude. You put in the groundwork. My mum loves you. Does she? Yeah. She I don't really know if I have you. really put in the groundwork. You know, I feel like even though I've known you for like, I don't know, 10 years, like more than 10 years now. Yeah, ages. 15 years or whatever. You know, I'm not sure that me and uh, Louise have got the closest relationship. Yeah, no, she likes you. Okay, well, that's good. There was that one time I said cunt when we were playing Bishy Bashy Special. Yeah. And she and she told me off from a different room. Yeah. But I don't know if she knows it was you. It might be. She didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I probably said it in the voice of one of your other friends. <laughs> Like Jake, Jake or something. So uh, yeah, I think she, she probably hates it as a result of that. <laughs> and she hates Jake, but but she loves you. Excellent. Anyway, um, on this week we will be talking about everyone's favorite metatastic fourth wall breaking superhero, Deadpool. He is returning in a sequel that proves once again that there is no cliche or trope. That this guy will not drop kick into oblivion, slice up with his fucking katana swords, or shoot with his special guns, uh, except most of the ones relating to the story and the characters in it. Um, we'll also be checking in with Johnny Depp as he attempts to mumble and drone his way through his career woes by circling a prestige art house project. And we will ask, who watches The Watchmen? Probably... We'll answer that question right now. Uh, it's going to be the TV audience of the new series <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Damon Lindelof I is making. I Vodos Vodos. What? Somewhere that. Yeah. Somewhere that. Um, we'll see. We talk about some other stuff. Maybe something involving a movie in which apparently, like a dog, inadvertently <laughs> grooms children for abuse. Uh, and also, we might touch on the Spider-Man villain Mysterio at some point. But much like his name, you don't know whether he's going to come up <laughs> at any time. All that should leave just enough time for me to announce my new groundbreaking film project, 
Sampool. Couldn't think of a better name for that. It's <laughs> probably one out there. Uh, no, no, that's by far the best possible name. <laughs> Sampool. Uh, it's an irreverent superhero film in which I break not just the fourth wall, but also the first, second, and third walls. I break each one successively during the film. It begins with me breaking the first wall. That means I turn around and destroy the set. That's how I would imagine that would work. Uh, and then I then break the second and third walls. They're kind of similar. <laughs> you just kind of hear crashing noises off screen because I don't think they really play much of a part in the theater metaphor. And finally, I then break the fourth wall in traditional fashion by turning to the camera and making a series of jokes about my own career in superhero films. And this causes the collapse of the uh, legendary fifth wall, the roof, and the lighting and sound equipment and the wires that hold you up for the fight scenes all collapse on me, crushing me and the rest of the cast. That is the conclusion of the film. It's going to be very experimental and exciting. Uh, I look forward to it. Don't know where the superhero stuff comes into it, but, you know, it's going to fit that in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Our good friend Olivia Waring sent us a message on Twitter. Bringing to our attention a story on birthmoviesdeath.com regarding the upcoming television series... Uh, of Watchmen, the famous comic by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Yeah. Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Didn't even have to check who uh, did the the art because it was Dave Gibbons. Um, So the movie came out a little while ago, the Zack Snyder one, and I think it did pretty well, uh, but it kind of was shit. And I guess (laughs) that it created enough of, you know, uh, cultural stir. I guess that there's still some excitement circling around Watchmen. And all of the kind of comic book nerds in the industry obviously love Watchmen. It's a very iconic, uh, famous graphic novel. That Considered to be the best one, really. Well, well it's one of Time Magazine's 100 best novels it's ever. It's so good that it escapes the realms of comics. It, it is enters literature. the novel. <laughs> it's even this literature. Time Magazine really liked it. Um, and it is it is good. It is a pretty good uh, graphic novel. I recommend you check it out if you've never read it. Um, and the mastermind of uh, the new series, which is going to be on HBO, is Damon Lindelof. He posted a very long message on Instagram. It's like five pages long uh, in which he attempts to reassure his fans that he is a diehard Watchmen head and will be treating the material with great respect and also trying to do something new and original with it and not simply tree-treading old ground by slavishly copying uh, the graphic novel, which is sort of what Zack Snyder did. Uh, Olivia is not terribly impressed. She's sent us the emoji of somebody face palming and then she says after an abysmally mediocre mess of a movie adaptation why not make a series cried the voice of logic surely that's the reason to make this series do it better yeah well i guess i can understand her skepticism and alan moore himself is very opposed to all visual adaptations of his work right and he has seems like pretty good reason to be since most of them are quite bad yeah uh, yeah i think he basically is of the opinion that they were designed 
you know specifically for the comic book medium watchmen more than all of them in a way because it's a sort of comic book about comic books yeah and exactly, just uh, yeah. translating it into a different form uh would lose the point which um, there's some validity to that and that's something damon lindelof sort of addresses in his letter to the fans yeah very much so so he is uh hoping to kind of update the story to contemporary i remember like when they were making the movie adaptation it was going to be um paul greengrass right initially and then he was going to do a contemporary version of the story, as far as I can recall. Yeah. And, of course, he was like he was making the Bourne movies around the same time, and it was like all political and edgy and stuff. And so people were like, what is this, like, George Bush torture-era Watchmen is going gonna, is gonna to happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, but instead, like, Zack Snyder took over and just, like, adapted every frame, but with, like, you know, ten times as much testosterone and, like, shit um, iPod soundtrack on the top of it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lindelof is, I guess, doing something that's going to be a bit closer to the green grass approach. He says, This story will be set in the world its creators painstakingly built, but in the tradition of the work that inspired it, this new story must be original. It has to vibrate with the seismic unpredictability of its own tectonic plates. It must ask new questions and explore the world through a fresh lens. Most importantly, it must be contemporary. The Old Testament, uh, he's referring to the original Watchmen, was specific to the 80s of Reagan and Thatcher and Gorbachev. Ours needs to resonate with the frequency of Trump and May and Putin and the horse that he rides around on shirtless. Uh, and speaking of horsemen, the end of the world is off the table, which means the heroes and villains, as if the two are distinguishable, are playing for different stakes entirely. So, yeah, it definitely sounds preferable, right? I mean, if you're going to like um, continually mine the same cultural veins for content, which is what everybody is doing, it, it's preferable to take the approach of we're going to tell an original story rather than you know retreading old ground yeah absolutely and uh yeah i mean that's part of the problem with the watchman movie is that it's set in the 80s and it's uh, sort of nixon and the atomic bomb and it's like those are all things that were you know hot topic things in the 80s and you know when that movie came out in 2006 it's like nuclear war you what well it's just completely stripped of all political resonance whatsoever right? yeah and it's just instead it's just like awesome cool shots in slow motion exactly nixon's big nose and also zach schneider obviously just did not understand the, the thing he was adapting at all and like i think like he thought like rorschach was the hero and he's like that guy is brilliant i love the way he murders people yeah and, absolutely and, yeah you know his sort of politics have become more and more apparent in his other films it's like um, that quote from that you told me where there was that critic who was reviewing baz Luhrmann's the great gatsby and was like it cuts to the surface of the material <laughs> yeah yeah and that's very much like uh snyder's watchman as well so i know i mean i'm not particularly invested either way but much rather this than a straight adaptation i would say that it like I'm in two minds about it. I don't really have like a strong opinion about Lindelof, to be honest. Like he's obviously had some bad feedback in his career, which he seems to have taken in relatively good spirits uh, after like Prometheus and uh, Lost and whatnot uh, that people were not particularly happy with. But he's also made HBO's Leftovers, which people say is really, really excellent. Maybe he's redeemed himself. Though I have not watched it, but. Uh, I'm sort of, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit uncertain about something which is like, I'm going to deal with contemporary issues. I'm going to tackle Trump and May and Putin. And I'm like, that can go. I mean, we're, we're absolutely crying out for something that feels like it puts its finger on the issues of today and like feels uh, relevant. Uh, but at the same time, there's so many ways in which that could fucking suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to see some fake news ass watchman or something, you know? <laughs> Or, like, some sort of appalling, like, OTT Trump allegory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, did you hear that The West Wing is is coming back, apparently, for a new series? Oh, fucking hell. And that's going to be about now, but in the worst way possible. 
well, it's going to be unbearable. You know, the risk of drifting completely off topic. Like, you know, like Obama's signed this deal with Netflix to like make. I didn't, I didn't know that. The, Has he? The, the, uh, Michelle and Barack, the Obama Foundation, are going to like make content for Netflix. No. They've signed some oh, million dollar no. deal. But it's like, in a way, it's perfect because he was kind of like the TV president. Of like you know like well, he was, was the cool he was the cool president he but goes, he, was, he goes on Fallon and he's like just you know jams with everybody but and he just was hangs like out and he's like a cool dude yeah like it's like the West Wing viewers dreams came true yeah absolutely but like yeah. now it's come full circle and he's like literally <laughs> gonna be making TV feels somehow very apt that's I mean that's bizarre news you know I what I did not know that and I don't know what to think about it but I, I cannot wait to hate watch this new West Wing it's gonna be like a female black president and she like whatever the fucking hot topic news she has the much better take but it's obviously gonna be like months out of date like the newsroom yeah i mean i think it might even be yeah i think he he will have an obama president right and it will be like uh just some awesome dude who's right about everything all the time and like everybody's gonna watch it and be like if only life was like this but in the fiction of the west wing isn't it like uh bartlett hands him off to another democrat so it's like there's been a democratic president for four terms well, in that world, there's always a Democratic president. Oh, yeah, of course. But doesn't the Democratic president, and, and like, nothing, make nothing... the Republican candidate, like, Secretary of State or something in some massive act of across uh, yeah. the aisles hand-holding? Team, team of rivals. Team of rivals. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way to do it. That's true statesmanship. Oh, fuck And that then show. nothing ever really changes in the world, you know? It's fine. It's fixed, it's, isn't it? Someone's pointing out that it's like, like, this show goes on for season after season, but he doesn't have any, like, legacy. Like, he doesn't, like, accomplish anything or do anything. Such a weird, very weird stuff. Uh, but anyway, sorry, we're drifting away from Lindelof. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, I think I might. If when that show comes out, I think maybe we should hate watch it. We should do a new podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do a podcast solely about it, and every week we'll review each episode and make this say the same stuff about it. Yeah. it's gonna be great. It's gonna, gonna be great. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Watch the space. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. The director, Sarah Guerrero, is hot as shit right now. He previously made Embrace of the Serpent, which was amazing. And if you haven't seen it, get thee to a place which will give you that film. <laughs> it might be on Amazon Prime. Who knows? One of your movies of 2016. Oh, it? man, it's it's brilliant. I loved it. And his latest film, Birds of Passage, recently premiered at Cannes to pretty much universal acclaim. It's one of the big hits of that festival. And he is already lining up his next film, uh, set to be his English-language debut, called Waiting for the Barbarians, which is based on a novel by Nobel Prize winner uh, J.M. Coetzee. And the story follows a British magistrate in a small colonial town who begins to question his loyalty to the empire. And colonialism seems to be a big theme in his works and the way huge kind of corporate deities fuck up just individual lives. And excitingly, everyone's favorite actor, Johnny Depp, is apparently circling a role. Johnny Depp is still allowed to be in movies. And if he uh, signs up, he'll be joining uh, Robert Pattinson and Mark Rylance. We've already signed on to do it. Wow. I, I, I really like one of those actors. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's kind of interesting, I think, because on one hand, Johnny Depp hasn't made a good movie in forever. In other hands, he's, he's a terrible human being and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't be in films or like... Aren't those both on the same hand? Yeah. On one hand, this. On one hand, this. <laughs> now, I'm just, you know, it'd be... 
I suspect it'd be like kind of cool in some sense to see him go back to his like original roots of making these like uh, art house it, features where he was this cool, exciting actor who could do anything. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, fuck off, fuck off. But I think it's kind of interesting. Johnny Depp's continued career is almost like a good barometer of where we're at with the whole Me Too. Uh, who's blacklisted, who's not, who's ridden out, Yeah, yeah. who's still bankable. Well, it's, a bit, that... it's a bit like, you know, he's sort of wiping his brow and being like, close one, and yeah, yeah. now it's fine again. Doesn't matter. But it, the fact that he's even been approached to be in this movie suggests that he still hasn't been blacklisted. He still can no, get I mean, a movie he seems funded. Fine. I mean, he seems completely fine. Um, it doesn't seem to have really affected him at all. And may- maybe like... Because his scandal did not break at the height of Me Too, right? It broke, exactly, it broke it's early, like a bit so... before. Yeah, so it is this weird. It is this weird phenomenon where it just depends when this thing happened to you, rather than um, what you actually did. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, and I just have you seen the trailer for City of Lies? Oh my god! This film he's making about um, the uh, like detectives um, investigating the death of uh, Biggie Smalls with Forrest Whitaker. So this is like a serious drama and stuff. It's not. It's not like it's more serious than I think. Uh, I don't know. Like I feel like any movie he's made in a long time. Like I know he made Black Mass, but even that was a vaguely cartoonish kind of. Hey, I'm movie. doing some crime here. Yeah. Hey, remember, kid, to like cut a guy's head off. But Johnny, he's one he's, day old. He's six years old. <laughs> he got a lot sometime, ain't he? He's six months old. <laughs> what are you doing, Johnny? He got to learn how to hey. be a man. Yeah, so that seemed like a stupid film, although his performance was relatively praised in it. Whereas this seems more like a straight, straight up drama, like a crime drama, like not too sort of glitzy or whatever, uh, but relatively down to earth. And I just found, like, just judging by the trailer alone, he he does not seem to be able to escape that kind of slurred, sort of uh, mumbly, affective thing. Like he's very kind of flat. He's very sort of low energy. I mean, when he turns up in um, Murder on the Orient Express, it was like, okay, you're playing some kind of, like, waster, gangster, like, dickhead or whatever. And I was like, yeah, we can vaguely buy this. But if he's got to do range, I feel like that's dead. And he used to just kind of disappear into his roles and be able to do all sorts of things. Now I'm just seeing this, like, washed up, like, Hollywood star. So I don't know. Maybe he still has, like, a great role in him. But I was looking at that being like, get out of films, man. Just, just leave films. My, I can only hope that he's not playing the British magistrate, <laughs> the heart of this movie, <laughs> taking one of his like ridiculous like anglophile performances of like, oh, well, like Mordecai, Mo- yeah, Mordecai, Mordecai <laughs> as like, performance, yeah, like Art House Mordecai, Art House Mordecai, <laughs> that'd be uh, yeah, that, yeah, you know, that would almost be enough to to make me excited for it. That I, movie was fucking great though, to be to be fair. To give it give <laughs> it to Arpats. I mean, Arpats has made a. I haven't seen Embrace the Serpent, but if it's kind of like Journey to the Heart of Darkness into the Jungle type yeah. experience. Arpats has done that already in uh, what the movie that he made, City of City of Zed, the Lost City of Zed. Thank you for helping me. And uh, and he was he was very good in it, and I enjoyed him a lot in it. And so yeah, he seems. I feel like him, we be friends in the you know, Me and Arpats. He seems like a real cinephile. I feel like I could chat movies with the guy. He seeks some interesting projects. Yeah, you'd be like, who's your favorite Safdie brother? Yeah, Josh or I Benny? Like Josh. <laughs> I like Josh. You like Benny? <laughs> interesting. You can have a long yeah a long conversation about that. He's like uh, Fazbender before he started making terrible career decisions. Yeah. I always used to think Michael Fazbender like made really interesting movies, movies yeah. and paid interesting directors. He's come off with like a series of, like six terrible films, but our past is still going strong with interesting choices. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Fast Money is like a series of like a swing and a miss. It is an effort to break into like blockbuster kind of matinee type filmmaking. Hey, buddy. I need you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying because there are lessons again and again throughout your whole life. And you got to learn from these things, right? It's not what you do. It's when and where you do it. And who you do it to or with. If nobody sees it, didn't happen. Timmy, he's six. You really think that's the best thing to be telling your kid? Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spider-Man news. So one of the few new Marvel movies that is on their current slate is the Spider-Man sequel, which is scheduled for... I don't understand how that could happen. So I'm pretty Come sure on, it... Danny, don't... You can't... Well, no spoil. No, don't do any spoilers. Okay, okay. It's going to spoilers. But it's news to me. I mean, <laughs> uh, so the the new Spider-Man film is going to come out like uh, I think only a couple of months after the second Infinity War movie in okay. 2019. It's going to be a bit of a packed year for Marvel films, even more so than usual, as they have Captain Marvel coming in March and then uh, Infinity mm. War dropping shortly afterwards, and then new Spider-Man movie only a couple of months later. But there are some questions coming out of the conclusion of Infinity War about about this film. Ooh. But it's already on the you know slate, so uh, I guess some news will be leaking out about it. Given the events of it, it will be maybe difficult for them to market it. You know, I would just say that the film is rather cataclysmic, so you know it, it will not be that easy to market your sort of friendly but high school film in the new world that has been left left by the events of Infinity well, War. Well, it's similar to when the trailer for Infinity War came out before Black Panther. So yeah, exactly. It's like exactly, you see yeah. footage from the sort of sequel before the thing. Yeah, just the, I it's, guess because Sony kind of owns Spider-Man, right? So they definitely want to announce that to their investors that we're making more Spider-Man. Whereas Marvel are a bit more coy about what is Phase Four. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's. Pro- I think that is probably true. And uh, anyway, so bits of news are coming out about the movie. I'm sure they have some deal about how it'll be marketed. But one thing that's been announced is that apparently uh, the villain of the film will be the character Mysterio. And that villain will be played by no less than Jake Gyllenhaal. He's circling the role. He is indeed. Um, he is in talks to play the classic Marvel villain, so I guess it isn't quite yet confirmed. Danny, would you like to hear a little bit about the character of Mysterio? Yes, I hope he has a very unfunny and serious backstory, which is not at all you know, evident of its <laughs> ridiculous 60s colourful roots. Uh, well, let's find out. So the uh, he is there are many incarnations of Mysterio in the comic books, but the most prominent one is a guy called Quentin Beck, uh, who is a special effects wizard and stuntman working for a major Hollywood studio with dreams of making a name for himself in the film industry. However, he came to see his career in special effects as a dead end job. His attempts to become an actor were poorly received, but he realized that his expertise in illusions could make him an effective supervillain. So he becomes. <laughs> Mysterio, he's like this dude, he's like got a uh, kind of 
orb or like <laughs> massive glass bowl on his head and he has a huge cape and a kind of green costume cool. sort of like netting on it and massive yellow gloves he's a pretty fucking badass guy i remember him well from um the spider-man animated series in the 90s as one of spider-man's villains always cropping up to create you know rat skeletons for spider-man to fight and other such illusions well i guess the previous uh toby mcguire and andrew garfield spider movies have gone through the sort of a-list roster of villains so they're down to the sort of less uh less well-known ones yeah well i i think this is actually quite a good choice of villain in a way because like the marvel universe has become so uh, sort of out there and ridiculous that i feel like this character is you know feels more at home in it than it would at any previous point in sure. these various movies and also there is something kind of you know, there's a lot of cinematic potential in a villain whose power is to create illusions and that sounds like kind of fun it's certainly more exciting than uh you know just like another powerful guy who punches really really hard and there's also a he's a he's a good kind of spider-man villain who's a kind of low rent dude he's just some like random disc yeah, a lot of like disgruntled employees uh yeah a lot of blue collar villains in a lot of spider-man sort of blue collar villains exactly like guys whose you know life takes wrong one wrong turn and then they just become a bit mean but there's like you know that that kind of relatively um low states and kind of like relatably grumpy um meaningless motives is you know quite refreshing yeah true so i i think he's quite a good choice of uh villain for the new movie and i would genuinely be kind of up for it and i'm always i really like jake Hall. he's somebody who's happy to go do quite out there performances and he's not at all vain either he's like yeah I, one of the things i like about him is that i mean a lot of actors who are very like handsome guys who've played these heroic roles uh happy to do um parts where you know they're more like prestige roles or whatever but there's always i feel like they often have vanity in them you know they often like still want to come out cool or whatever whereas jake gyllenhaal does genuinely seem like a guy who's just doing it because he is you know he wants to like have interesting parts and yeah absolutely acting. like his, his performance in stronger is really really good and was completely um like there was no sort of like well, was very little ego in it oh, it's probably a lot of ego in it in one sense but not not in the kind of like narcissistic preening sense of like some other actors well he was well i don't know if he was good in uh Okja, but he definitely sort of committed it very to it out there like yeah his performance in Okja is very out there i enjoyed it i know you found it kind of annoying uh, yeah i don't know he's definitely got that gear i could see him as a villain i mean like nightcrawler and Okja sort of uh have exactly know, yeah. exposed a certain you know well no, side of him that those are both those are both super villain performances yeah so um yeah so I think it sounds kind of cool, and I'm I'm sort of looking forward to it. But then I am I've I've bought into all the bullshit, haven't I? <laughs> you know, like it made me think of like I was I was having this discussion with Sarah again. I'm spending so much time with her about how it's hard to think of an actor who isn't in a comic book movie. Right, and yeah. uh, Jay Gyllenhaal is like yeah, he's like he's one at the moment, <laughs> and uh, for now, Gosling. But can you think of any other actors in the 30s and 40s who aren't in some kind of tentpole? It's hard to... Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. They're so all-encompassing. Eventually, they come for everybody. Eventually, you will be in a superhero movie. Well, it's got to the point where if you're not in one, it, you must have been consciously avoiding them. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Gosling must have been turning a bunch of them down. Yeah. He's like, no, nah, mate. No, nah, nah, no thanks. No thanks, mate. Fuck off. I didn't, there was rumours that um, Jake Hunter was going to be Batman. So obviously, he's passed on that. This is a much better role than Batman, let's be honest. Like, do you really want to be the next person to be sucked into fucking Batman? You don't want to be have that sign that fucking contract, do you? That's look, like... at, look at that fucking San Affleck gif and tell me you want to be Batman. It's a yeah. curse. I guess, yeah. If you're a serious actor, the thing to do is be the villain or the mentor 
in a superhero movie. You come in, you steal the film, you only have to do one film, and, and you're out of there. You're out of there. You're like you're like Tilda Swinton, just did it, bang, in there, yeah. stole the show. Now I'm gone. Yeah, Fantastic. I mean, what's the same goes for Michael Keaton in the previous movie, right? He yeah, was, he was really good in that film. Exactly, and it was uh, like a good character that I that I enjoyed. I enjoyed watching on this on the on the cinema screen. Yeah, I'm all for it. So that has the film chat seal of approval. Stamped. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's joint review. Share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak? Or do they interrupt each other? The light is on. The guys are in. So let the chat begin. Start talking now. Deadpool came out two years ago. It made a shit ton of money. It was the biggest grossing R-rated film ever. Ever, and and what do you do with the biggest grossing R-rated movie ever? You obviously immediately make a sequel. So Deadpool 2, this catches up with Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool slash Wade Wilson. He is doing his Deadpool thing, uh, you know, just killing bad guys and making quips. Well, he's and, like a he's a kind of hitman for hire type guy, isn't he's he? He's a hitman for hire, uh, and he and he also breaks the fourth wall all the time. That's his kind of thing. That's his shtick, and uh, he suffers a tragedy at the beginning of the movie, and then uh, the plot is all about him trying to save the soul of a little boy played by Julian Dennison from uh, Hunt for Wilder People fame, the sort of cool young Kiwi guy. Um, He's trying to save his soul, but an evil, well, not, well, a guy from the future, Cable, played by Josh Brolin, he knows that this guy's going to turn bad. So he's gone back in time to kill him with his little kid. That classic sort of Hitler paradox, would you kill Hitler as a kid? He's like, I definitely would. Uh, to kill little Julian Dennison, and Deadpool was out there to save him. And here's a clip of uh, Brolin and Reynolds meeting for the same time. And you're going to hear some great quips and some uh, effing and jeffing and uh, some bones cracking. All the Deadpool stuff. Fantastic. Love it. My name's Cable. I'm from the future. Just walk away. Oh, so you're from the future. I have three questions then. One, is dubstep still a thing? Two, which Sharknado are we on? And three... At what point do audiences say, enough with the robotic arms? First of all, let's set the scene for this review. What was your cinema experience, Danny? I didn't see this film with you. You saw it separately. I saw it at the Crouch End Art House. It's next to the Crouch End Picture House. Go to the art house instead. First of all, they paid their staff staff a living wage. Uh, I think it's slightly cheaper, and they actually say that like before the movie, like I think comes up, but like a trailer for Art House Chain. This is we pay our staff a living wage. Oh, that's cool. Shade thrown, very good. And it was on a Sunday, lazy Sunday. I was so tuckered out from the raw wedding. I was like, let's watch a movie which requires no brain power. It's got a very uh, small hurdle to, you know, clear. Clear. That's the one. And uh, low low bar, low bar, low bar to entertain you. I saw yourself? the film at the Richmond Odeon. I had gone to Richmond to get a haircut, as that uh, Richmond contains my preferred barber. And it was a <laughs> lovely summer day. Um, and uh, I was just, you know, had some time to kill, and I thought maybe I would go to the cinema. And it was on at a convenient time, so I decided to go wander in. I, yeah, and it was also like uh, I was in a kind of a similar mood, you know, kind of low energy. 
and uh, wanted something that would uh, just set, settle onto my brain. I wouldn't have to engage any of my cells whatsoever. I just let Ryan Reynolds sort of yell his uh, quips and barbs at me over the film's two-hour running length. So um, I think we were, like, okay to positive on the original Deadpool, right? It was, like, a bit better than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think like, that, that was almost like... I think that was a big part of it. It was the little film that could because it was just like... It was perfectly placed in the schedule for like being a kind of February release. Yeah, And yeah. it was better than everyone expected it to be. And Because the, the whole legs. approach of it seemed like it was doomed to be this obnoxious kind of lad banter film that would uh, just be intensely irritating. And it was about like 40% that or maybe 60% that. But there was like a lot of it that was, you know, a bit better than that. And so uh, it ended up seeming okay. Um, but obviously a large part of its appeal is in that it was this fresh thing that feels like a slight change from the normal and everyone's sick of the same kinds of like studio uh, superhero movies and so this one felt like a more sort of like wild kind of project where they did whatever they wanted and it was you know exciting and fresh for that reason and therefore the sequel naturally has a bit of a um, tougher job because we all know what the Deadpool shtick is now and I think it basically does not succeed in making an argument for its own existence. No. It's kind of like Deadpool's back. It's the thing from the original film. But now there's two more hours of it. Um, it's and... almost an excuse for a marketing campaign now. Yeah, It's exactly. like the sketches like, they produced to sell the movie are... Kind of better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I would rather watch a movie that was just about him going to visit like, and hang out with David Beckham <laughs> and this thing. And essentially like the flaws of the original film are um exaggerated here and the things that it did well are still kind of present but are flat now because we've seen it yeah and i I think what i would have urged them to do had i been in charge of this project is to push that kind of like meta like undercutting of the whole superhero genre itself further yeah, it's... you know, get more ridiculous. Have him like jump into a comic book and have part of the film animated. Or have yeah, but sort like... of blazing squaddles, uh, blazing, blazing squaddles, blazing saddle stall ending where they invade the studio, or like the end of um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they start like crusaders start killing the cameramen who are like making the movie. Yeah, you know, like the, the, this could go there and be this. You know, it needs to feel like this kind of anarchic thing where anything goes, and instead it just feels like it's made to the formula of the initial film. So you end up like. It just feels, uh, yeah, just kind of like a cash-in, basically, which is against the... Like, if it feels like that, the movie is lost in a way because there's a whole ethos is that it's this, you know, creation of these guys who do and say whatever they want. Yeah. It's a bit weird in a way because it feels like, culturally speaking, it's both like this undercutting of the hyper-masculine machismo of superhero movies in a way that's like vaguely feels progressive... Uh, but also embracing this kind of like anti-political correctness sentiment that um, is uh, in a lot of like like conservatives and liberals seem to be super into at the moment, where it's like uh, here's this daring dude. He says anything. No one can like shut him up. He's just like he doesn't care. He's just out there to make you know make you laugh and not think yeah. about the consequences. Uh, and so I feel like it ends in this odd kind of middle space where some of the time it feels like it's undercutting like uh, traditional masculinity in a way that's quite refreshing and all the time it's just this fucking jerk making vaguely problematic gags that just don't like land and you know and it just feels like that's appealing to a reactionary sentiment in the in our culture that we don't need reinforced yeah i, I suspect count dankula would love this movie yeah exactly this is a fucking dankula film yeah i think basically it's sort of supposed to be a comedy first and foremost 
and uh, the director David Leach is very adept at doing action. He did the John Wick, uh, the first John Wick movie, and then Atomic Blonde. But I feel like they should have hired more comedians. Like get some better writers. Ryan Reynolds got a writing credit, and like he is, I think, like a, a pretty good actor. He's really good in Mississippi Grind. That's a good dramatic role he did, and I'm sure he can do other stuff. But like his shtick just cannot sustain a two-hour running time. And I think it's because basically he's operating at the same pitch. All the comedy, all the quips are basically very, very similar. And there's something to be said for like bad jokes weigh you down more than bad dialogue or like bad drama. There's something like offensive about bad comedy, which is not offensive about like a bad drama. Like, no, I know what you mean. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't know why. I think maybe because it's like you just feel the movie trying to get a reaction of you and failing. So it's a bit like a sort of you, you're babysitting someone's annoying kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. I mean, some of the jokes, I did laugh like a handful of times, but the hit rate is very low, I would say, given that every single second of the movie is supposed to be funny. And that kind of attitude is almost its downfall because it's like, you basically have a very generic superhero plot. It's like, Ryan will do his thing and we'll just cut it together. It's kind of similar to a lot of uh, modern sort of like post-Apatow movies where it's like, we'll just do 400 takes. It's like a bad Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. And the yeah, comedy will so. out. But yet also, it seems to be reaching for a more like emotionally engaging movie, but it just it it's so flippant that it cannot contain any emotional heft. And the way it sort of tries to pull on your heartstrings in a way is really kind of annoying because it's such a cliched thing to do. Yeah, the which whole we can't the, discuss. Well, the whole like emotional thing in the movie is hung around this like deeply sexist and incredibly played out trope that I was I was just so disheartened when they did it, and I was like can are you serious um because in the in the first movie one of the things that irritated me about it was the fact that um uh they set up like what is actually quite a, I, I thought was quite an engaging and charming romance with um uh monica bellerin is that the name of the actress? marina baccarin <laughs> yeah what well, just vaguely similar sounding terms uh yeah marina baccarin that's right um and I thought like they had good like on uh, on screen chemistry, and uh, I liked the way that their relationship was handled in the movie. Like she has a lot of you know personality, and they have a good like back and forth stuff. Um, but at the end of the movie, she gets kidnapped by the bad guy, and he has to go rescue her. And I was like, you know, it's so so annoying that in this film that breaks all the rules, you have to do this like fucking awful uh, damsel in distress shit that we've seen a billion times, um, and it's sexist. And uh, and then in the sequel where they would have had an opportunity to correct that tendency. Instead, it's, like, into reverse. And when, you know, in the first movie, it was, like, 90%, like, you know, good uh, kind of central romance relationship or whatever, and then, like, it's 10% of this bullshit thing. Now it's the other way around, and it's, like, seriously? I just... I was just so disappointed by the fact that it is leaning on the, like, most boring and lazy script-writing garbage, uh, obviously, like, written by man, from the first five minutes of the film and it's like like i and there's no excuse for that i really think it's like completely stupid yeah that was very disappointing and there's not a whole lot for women to do otherwise in the movie as well no it's like it's sort of striving to be we discussed this a bit in the last episode but it's like in a the superhero movie the marvel thing is already very irreverent irreverent and very uh steeped in irony and especially thor ragnarok and it just uh, kind of highlights how good that movie was. They obviously hired the talent from that film was Taika Waititi. Yeah. They try to get a bit of that, you know, Kiwi deadpan humor through Julie <laughs> Dennison. And he is one of the best things about the film. 
but it's like that uh thor thing of being somehow a parody of the character and the character at the same time is a very hard thing to pull off yeah and it just makes you it's like thor ragnarok is kind of like the princess bride of superhero movies in a way that's actually a really apt comparison like uh somehow mocking and fulfilling the tropes at the same time in a way which is very winning whereas this one is uh just doesn't have that and it's also similar to the first movie it's like the r-rated thing doesn't the fact that it's bloody and gory doesn't add much to the movie and just makes it a bit kind of dark and unpleasant at times yeah like uh i don't know there's just not that much humor in seeing someone's head come off unless it's no, know. it's just not. A, it isn't that funny. It just, it just isn't that funny. Speaking of Gillian Dennison, there's something a bit weird about watching a movie with a child actor and being like, they didn't give the child enough to do. <laughs> they, they didn't. They didn't really show the child's range. Well, he's. But that, but that is like literally how I felt in the movie. Like he is absolutely hilarious. He's. He's. Well, probably the best thing in Hunt for All the People. Though I really like the mum character as well. Who's under the mum's good. The Happy Birthday Ricky Baker song. Yeah, the best yeah. bit of the movie. That is the best bit of the movie. Um, but anyway, he's one of the best things in the film. He's really charming. Like he's great throughout the film. And like in this film, he's playing a completely different kind of character. And they simply do not use the things about him that are the most funny. So yeah, it's like why? Why do you cast this hilarious kid and put him in a mostly straight role? What are you doing? You're yeah, just yeah. wasting the comic chops of your fantastic little boy. You know, your lovely, beautiful little boy. Yeah, that's his little, lovely, beautiful, cherubic boy. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the hunter because he is, he's got great comic timing. And it's yeah, like, it's very funny. you should have hired, and like Rob Delaney is also makes a quite memorable cameo in the movie. It's like, he is a, a professional comedian and like, it shows Like you should hire more, get rid of TJ Miller. He's not that funny. More Rob Delaney, uh, less Reynolds. I don't know. Like, it's kind of his thing, but yeah at the same time i think it would be it would be okay but they just don't really give give him anywhere to go and it's just increasingly becomes like uh it just feels like they they wrote a completely normal boring film and then plastered some quips over it just yeah. increasingly gets that there's there is one bit um uh in which there's an extended gag involving him like getting this team together and then taking them on a mission um in which it feels like it's undercutting uh, your expectations in a way that works well for for the sake of humor yeah and the humor comes out of the like events of the film rather than just from ryan wells turning the camera and making some kind of gag and that works really well and it was like why don't you do this the whole fucking film why does this only happen for like five minutes where we're expecting it to go a certain way because we're watching an action movie and then it does the opposite and that's where the humor comes from it's like that's great guys do that for the whole film come on guys come on guys sort it come out come on uh so yeah it's a bit of a missed opportunity isn't it it's like it's, it's so irreverent that they can do anything and they just did the same thing as before say so, it's almost it, like a victim of his own success it is a ma- i think that's exactly what it is because they just have to they're cautious it's a really cautious movie and it has to pretend to you that it's not uh but it is and it will probably make a ton of money and whatnot and then maybe they'll make a third one and maybe like in the third one ryan reynolds will be disheartened with this one and he'll like you know, end up killing the screenwriter of Deadpool 2 or something in some crazy gag. That maybe would be a good gag. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, say, so, I don't know. Wouldn't really recommend it. If you enjoyed the first one, it's less good. Yeah, it's so, like it's like a... It's it's what you might just it's go like the. It's a pale imitation. <laughs> it's like the Iron Man 2 to Iron Man or For the Dark World. It's like... It's just or same, Guardians 2. Same, it's like the yeah. same, but... I think it's actually well, it's, very much like Guardians 2. Yeah, uh, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. The joke isn't funny anymore, kind of thing. So yeah, it depends how much mileage you feels in the original movie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like absolutely hate it, and I did laugh a few times, but it's too long. It's so long, man. The ending—they try to make a gag out of the ending dragging on, but I was like, 
look at I just turn, turn the fucking camera on me and see how much I'm not laughing and how long this ending is end your stupid film <clears throat> five stars five stars <laughs> My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo She's the queen but she wants to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end And finally a strange story about an upcoming film called Show Dogs This is a new family comedy uh, which features Will Arnett and Ludacris Ludacris is the voice of a police hound who goes undercover to infiltrate a dog show you can sounds like the recipe for some endearing family comedy. And how could anything controversial uh, possibly come out of this? It's about a stolen baby panda, uh, which leads Max, who is a talking Rottweiler, voiced by Ludacris, to uh, infiltrate the dog show by way of, this is according to the Guardian, pedicures, Botox, waxing, and, crucially, tolerating the judges checking his genitals. Right. Um, this is something they do at dog shows, presumably. I guess so. They check all parts of the dog, including the genitals. Um, Your dog's beautiful. Oh, look at this! Look at the state of his balls. Get out! Get out! Not pretty. Not pretty enough for the show. Yeah, you are rejected. The uh, National Center on Sexual Exploitation released a statement on Tuesday about a scene. This the scene in which the dog's genitals are inspected, um, in which the dog uh, is instructed to put his discomfort over genital groping to one side and instead go to a zen place. And according to the statement um, uh, from the NCOSC, this sends a troubling message that grooms children for sexual abuse. Um, The executive director said that her organization objects to multiple scenes, this is a quote, multiple scenes where a dog character must have its private parts inspected in the course of which the dog is uncomfortable and wants to stop, but is told to go to a zen place. The dog is rewarded with advancing to the final round of the dog show after passing this barrier. Disturbingly, these are similar tactics child abusers used when grooming children, telling them to pretend they are somewhere else and that they will get a reward for withstanding their discomfort. Children's movies must be held to a higher standard and must teach children bodily autonomy, the ability to say no, and safety, not confusing messages endorsing unwanted genital touching. It does sound bad. It does. It sounds bad. I have to say. I, I would say that, like, if you have made a film that features, like, a gag about a dog's genitals that can be misinterpreted as grooming for child abuse you have fucked up yeah like if if a if a center for exploitation is issuing a statement about your movie i feel like you have probably done something wrong the, the thing that does amuse me is like the idea that like whatever studio put this out they must have you know after the last year been a like constant putting out firefights about bad behavior and stuff it's like well at least take the weekend off just show dogs is coming out it's like no oh, what do you mean it's endorsing some sort of child grooming practices yeah yeah um it's a shame the um but it has been defended uh the organization that uh co-produced and co-financed the film Global Road Entertainment has defended the film. They said in a statement to CNN that the dog show judging in this film is depicted completely accurately as done at shows around the world. So accurate, accurate dog show depiction and was performed by professional and highly respected dog show judges. Global Road Entertainment and the filmmakers are saddened and apologize to any parent who feels the scene sends a message other than a comedic moment in the film. Well, this is what happens when you give animals the personality and mindset of humans. That it can like, potentially be problematic. Yeah, what about the scene where, like, you know, all the dogs get their balls cut off of the vets? Like, you know, if anything, that's like a pro-castration movie? I don't know. Like, Yeah, yeah. I know, obviously, in this particular case, it does sound uh, very bad, but 
it's just uh if you interrogate these concepts too much that's where they'll fall, yeah. fall apart um the bbfc has sided with the production company uh, they said the scenes in question are entirely innocent and non-sexual and occur within the clear context of preparation for and judging in a dog show. We regard the comments made about the film as suggesting grooming as a misinterpretation of the scenes in question. So the BBFC, firmly on the side of the filmmakers. Um, uh, I don't know. It, the, the, the original screenwriter, or one of the film's original screenwriters, has distanced himself from it and said that he didn't write it and you know, a bunch of other screenwriters did it. I guess you can't really judge until you've seen the movie them, your, yourself. I would say that, like... Um, just I mean, it makes it, like, it makes sense to me that it's something that could be a problem, and that like, uh, if you were sensitive to these kinds of tropes when you were watching the movie, you'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like it's not a particularly you know plot dependent scene. Yeah, absolutely. Like, how difficult could it possibly have been for them to avoid it? You know. Yeah, I mean, dogs are hilarious in movies. There's a million jokes you can make about them. Whenever the balls touched. <laughs> Whose idea was that? I think it is. I think there is definitely something intrinsically weird about like a human voiced, like a sort of anthropomorphized dog who is like, you know, uh, being like groped and then being told how to like think and feel during it. it does sound like a fucking weird. Yeah, thing. it I mean, is. Like most kids, it would probably like be water off a duck's back or whatever, and they probably wouldn't give a shit. But I feel this is the thing they've like they've dug too deep into the concept in that scene. Yeah. Like if yeah. you think about this thing too much, it's like, well dog's like I was ripped away from my mother as a puppy and now I've been groomed by my abductees. And <laughs> you know that's that would be my dog's life if he could, you know, think like a human. Yeah. But, you know, if you start the logic it breaks down too quickly if you well you got to be careful in all such um anthropomorphizing of animals and children's stuff you know they very you can very easily like run into uh bizarre scenarios and and that kind of thing so why zootropolis works so well is because they thought all these things out very carefully yeah and b movie works even better because they didn't think <laughs> didn't think about them once <laughs> um but anyway just a funny just a funny little story for you there just to amuse you uh Danny, what are we going to be reviewing next week? Uh, I know the film Zarm is out. I'm going to be reviewing that. The new film by Lucretia Martel, who, shamefully, I didn't know who she was, but like many female directors, she had a string of incredibly well-received movies, and it's taken her forever to make a fourth one. And when this movie came out, I was listening to all these podcasts, but like, oh, it's so great having a Lucretia Martel movie. And I was like, oh, shit, I felt like a real ignoramus, but quickly Google that. Yeah, I don't uh, know who she is. But Zarm is very, very good. Early, early peak, sneak peek of my review. It's very good. Goodbye now. Bye. Come on, we better continue this downtown. Don't be afraid. I'm here to help. I am Mysterio, and I am putting Spider-Man on notice. There's no place you'll be able to hide, and nowhere you can run. As far as I'm concerned, you're just another creep in a costume. What can you do? I was hoping you'd ask. How do you that? Cheap parlor trick. I guarantee you I'll catch Spider-Man, but I want all you big shot media people there to record it. Now that I've started things all, don't drop the ball. Got it. Ah! 
Good question. I should have known it was a fake. My spider sense didn't go off. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.